Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Good morning, I'm James. I'm a pastor here at Renewal, and uh, I'm tasked with bringing the word of the Lord to you today. So um, thanks for being here to listen. I had a conversation this week with someone who attends here, and, and they were sharing about church last Sunday, where they were here, and, um, and it was just during worship. Someone came up and, and felt like the Lord had, had just given them something specific to pray over this person, and this person was so deeply impacted by someone else in the church coming and praying over them, and, and I, I told them, oh man, I'm so relieved, because I, I felt... Uh, pretty jet-lagged and discombobulated teaching last week, and it was one of those weeks where I go home, and I'm like, man, that really felt like I just wasted everyone's time. We should have just phoned it in and canceled church that day, but something really awesome happened to somebody uh, because somebody was willing to hear the Lord and, and pray and speak out, and I was just thinking about that when, you know, Tyler, during worship, felt inspired to say, hey, give us an opportunity to pray for one another, and I just want to encourage you, you all to really make the most of those opportunities when uh, when maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart or someone that's leading up here sets the table for you to minister to one another. I really think that could be the most valuable thing that happens all day. And uh, and when we when we ignore those urgings or ignore those opportunities to to speak God's truth to one another, we can totally uh, rob them of an opportunity for God to really meet them in a special way. Uh, I, I had a, a situation where I felt like God met me in a special way through somebody else as I was traveling home from Cambodia uh, last, well, almost two weeks ago now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I spent a week there with a friend uh, who's done trips over there for a number of years, working with uh, nonprofits and NGOs in the country doing kind of mercy relief work. Uh, addressing issues of poverty and human trafficking and things like that. And through COVID, everything had been shut down. And so uh, we had gone over, uh, because it's been three years since he's had any real on-the-ground contact with the people that he's been working with. And and so we were just there to kind of re-network and lay groundwork for trips to be going back uh, this next year. Uh, anyhow, I talked about it a little bit last week. And, and I'm, not, I'm actually not going to talk about the trip that much. Um, I read a a book recently where the author insists that nobody wants to hear about your, your trips and nobody wants to hear about your vacations and nobody wants to see your photos. And I'm really, I've really taken that to heart. So I'm not going to share any stories. No, the point was that oftentimes what those sort of stories turn into is just your itinerary. You're like, first we did this, then we did that. And, and he's like, that's bad storytelling. So um, anyhow... Uh, so I'm, I'm flying home, and we're in the Korea airport where we had spent almost 24 hours on the way there, and we've got around eight hours to spend on the way home. So I don't start to do the math. That's like 30-some hours I spent in the airport in Korea. I know all the... If anyone's flying through Incheon and you want some hot tips on how to kill some time there, I've got you, I've got you all set up. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts and um, the bathrooms, I guess. There's... It's, it's an airport. Anyhow, 
Um, as happens to me, I don't know if any of you are this way, when you're coming back home after being away for a while, uh, my mind starts to, to reconnect with all the things that are maybe happening at home or all the things that I didn't get done over last week. And so I'm sitting in the airport and I'm beginning to feel preoccupied with uh, just the stuff that home represents, the challenges, the stresses. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm starting to feel stressed out about, you know, how, how's the church doing? What are we doing? Where's the future uh, how am I doing at my work? These people's maybe unique situation that I'm aware of that, man, God really needs to show up for them. Or, or, and so these stresses are starting to come up in my mind. And, um, and I'm hanging out with my friend who I'd gone over to Cambodia with. And something about him that is kind of cool is he's a real coffee fanatic. And, uh, and he uses an AeroPress and he grinds a specific amount of beans, you know, to like to the gram and he is really proud of this cup of coffee that he makes for himself every, every morning. And uh, the first time I saw him doing this was four years ago when I went to Cambodia with my wife, Laura, and, and him with a team for one of these trips. And, and so we're in the airport, and, f- and for four years now, I've been hearing about this great cup of coffee that he makes, and, and I have an opportunity for him to make me a cup of coffee. Uh, but first, we have to get some hot water. And... Uh, that's hard to do because when you go up to the counter and ask for hot water, they look at you like you're crazy and they don't give it to you. And so I, I procured some hot water by going up to the counter and ordering tea and then asking them to leave the tea bag out. And they were like, for some reason, that was more normal than just asking for hot water. I guess because they could charge me six bucks for that. But anyhow, I've got my hot water and it's in a paper cup and he's using this AeroPress, which is really just a a cylinder with a plunger in it and a filter at the bottom and you pour the coffee beans into the cylinder and then you use the, and then you add hot water and then you use the plunger to, to push it all through. Hence the name AeroPress, I guess. Um, typically this is done over a, a regular cup that has, you know, some firmness, some, some rigidity to it. So you're pushing down and almost as hard as you can to press all the water through the coffee and and, um, and it's supposed to be really good, and, and it is. It's pretty good. Uh, but I'm doing this over a paper cup because I just got the hot water in a paper cup. And so, the, so my friend Phil and I are both working together. I'm holding the AeroPress, and he's trying to push it, and I'm trying to hold it up and keep this paper cup from becoming a paper gasket. And, and as we're pushing down the water's kind of spilling out here and there, and the steam's burning our hands, and, and uh, it was a delightful experience that made a bit of a mess everywhere. And so uh, Phil takes all the equipment to the bathroom to go and clean up the mess, and I'm sitting there ready to sip my delicious cup of coffee and thinking about all the stresses of going home. And my friend Phil comes out of the bathroom and comes back over to me, and, and I can tell, like, something's different. He's like, James, Jesus just met me in the bathroom. I'm like, oh, wow, what did he say, you know? And Phil's like, well, I've really been stressing about going back home and all the challenges I have. He has a board meeting for his organization that happened last week where they, they kind of do an annual board meeting because the people are all over the country, and this is like the big deal, and he's stressed about the board meeting, and he's stressed about the ministry and the future of the ministry, and is he doing everything he should be doing? And sounds a lot like me, right? He's like, I'm sitting there in the bathroom. I'm stressing about all this stuff. And I feel like the Lord says to me, you're worried about all the wrong things. 
what you should be worried about is obedience. And he's like, oh, oh yes, Lord. He says, I said, yes, Lord. And then I got a paper towel and I wiped down the sink and I left because <laughs> he was a YWAMer. And if you know anything about YWAMers, we really feel like uh, the fear of the Lord is somehow tied to never leaving a mess for other people behind you. And so uh, <laughs> you can recognize a YWAMer by the way they clean up after themselves. Um, anyhow, so he shares, actually, after he said that, you know, it, it, it hits my heart, right? Like, oh, yeah. And as he's sharing what the Lord's speaking to him, I feel like God is speaking to me through what he's saying to my brother. And, uh, and so my immediate response was to go to the bathroom, get a paper towel, and clean up the mess where I just pressed the coffee, and it was, it was all over this kind of marble planter. Um, anyhow, I'm consumed and worried about, you know, everything from bottom lines and budget, budgets to bottoms and seats to, you know, the city homeless crisis and, and all these things. And this word of the Lord comes to me through my friend that what I need to be worried about is obedience. I'm thinking, ah, oh, that word is convicting. Like it feels like, oh, yeah, no, I shouldn't. There's an adjustment that needs to happen. I shouldn't be worried about all these other things. But the word was also so liberating for me because there's so much that I, I can do whatever I can do, but I have no control over. And it's really up to God to take care of the, everything beyond my obedience. The one thing that God requires of me in my role as a pastor or in my role as a follower of Jesus is that I am walking with him and I'm obedient to the leading of his Holy Spirit. My relationship with him as my Lord and King is far more important than, you know, my effectiveness as a minister or any of the other metrics that we might measure success in a ministry by. Um, those things don't even factor on the same scale as trusting and obeying the Savior and the lover of my soul and the King of all the world. We're going to return to the Gospel of John for a number of weeks before we get into the Advent season. And the whole idea of this is to learn from Jesus' life. And I know as I've read the Gospels, I'm struck by how many times Jesus ends up in just the right place at just the right time, saying just the right things to just the right people. And you contrast that with with my life, and, and I feel like, you know, even if I've got maybe two out of three of those right, like it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to do the wrong, like I'm going to say the wrong words, or I'm going to be in the wrong place at the right time. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, I, I think, man, I should really be concerned about whether my life looks like Jesus's life, that, that the truths that we can find in Jesus's life, about Jesus's life in Scripture are truths that would describe my life as well. Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and uh, he has this to say to them, uh, talking about the mindset that a follower of Jesus should have. He says, let your, let your uh, minds, let, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself taking the form of a servant and then being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Paul's talking about the mindset that we are supposed to be embracing as followers of Christ. And there's themes of emptying ourselves, themes of humility, and themes of obedience that we're supposed to be latching onto. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What kind of a mindset does a follower of Christ have when they encounter the world, when they engage society around them? The same mindset that Christ had when he came into our world. A mindset that although he was God, emptied himself of that idea and embraced his humanity, embraced life as a lowly human being, and learned uh, and exercised that humility through obedience, obedience even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus overcame sin and death by being humbly obedient to God. I think this is super important because the whole idea of a fallen world, the, 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 the world is fallen because of disobedience. This is why I think God thinks obedience is so important, because through Adam's disobedience, all of the world was plunged into chaos. Through Adam's disobedience, a door was opened, and sin and death were able to invade God's good creation. How do we overcome what disobedience has done? We overcome it through humble obedience. Romans chapter 5, the the apostle writes, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus changed the world through his obedience to the Father. And his followers are meant to Walk in his footsteps, changing the world through our obedience to the Father. Mediated by the Spirit of God that is with us and in us. So we're turning to John chapter 4. We're returning to the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. I taught on this last spring. I think I shared this is is probably my favorite Bible story. And so, you know, we get to spend a few weeks in my favorite Bible story. Um, If you recall, Jesus has gone out of his way to travel through Samaria. This is something that Jewish people didn't do. There was a lot of cultural hostility between the Jews and uh, the Samaritans. And yet the Spirit has led Jesus and his disciples are following with him to go through Samaria and to go to this particular village and to come and sit at this well and to wait for this woman to show up. We'll pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 7. You can turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to join if you want. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The author adds, The disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus is there alone at the well. He's sitting there. The woman comes up. And as she arrives, he says, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? The author explains, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We can probably assume that that's uh, equally true in the reverse, that Samaritans don't associate with Jews either. And so the woman's put off by this Jewish man sitting at the well asking her for a drink. It's like, what are you doing talking to me? Why are you asking for my help? 
I was imagining Jesus engaging the woman in this way and her surprise at being encountered by Jesus. And I thought, when is the last time that you or I had a conversation where someone was surprised that I was taking time to talk to them? When's the last time that someone was surprised by the way that you associated with them? And the reason I ask that question is because I hope, I guess I want to give the Spirit an opportunity to, uh, to speak to our hearts at all if we are people who intentionally stay inside the boundaries, inside the areas that we're supposed to be walking, associating only with those who we're supposed to be associating with. When was the last time that you moved out of your way or outside of your comfort zone that you were compelled by the Holy Spirit to reach across a boundary and have a conversation with someone who might be surprised that you would be talking to them? Verse 10, Jesus answers her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus knows who he is, and he knows that he has something incredible to offer, and he knows the Spirit has led him to this point to have a conversation with this woman that is going to be a life-giving and life-changing conversation for her. When's the last time that you walked into an interaction with someone with that kind of clarity about yourself? Here I am, a child of God, a child. Uh, a royal child of God, uh, a prophet, a priest sent to this place to mediate between the Spirit of God and one of his lost sons or daughters. Here I am to enter this space and be a blessing to them. Probably not advisable to say, if you knew what a gift it was for me to be here talking to you today, you would lose your mind. But there's something about that mindset as Jesus is approaching her that just captivates my imagination for a moment. What would it be like if I interacted with people that way? If I saw my presence in their life as a gift from God, as some kind of expression of his generous love and his desire to see them reconciled to himself. Could it be that your desk at work is next to this person simply because God wants to give that person a gift? And could it be that you have a great deal of influence on how that person views the gift that God has given them? Maybe they feel as if God's played a terrible trick on them, that your desk is next to them. And they're thinking, man, I would sure love it if God would give me a different gift. You have a lot of influence over how people perceive you and how people perceive the God that you claim to serve. Sorry, I somehow skipped backwards in my notes. Um, I'm like pages from where I should be. All right, new the gift of God. Da, 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 da. Okay. So, <laughs> so the woman says back to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Remember, Jesus says to her, you would ask and I would give you living water. He says, you have nothing to draw with. Where, uh, where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and from it himself, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, 
as did also his sons and his livestock. The woman's talking to Jesus. They have a common ancestor in their following of God, that is the patriarch Jacob. This woman believes, and probably is true, that this is the well that Jacob dug. This is the well that Jacob drank from. This is a connection that goes eons back to their spiritual heritage. And here Jesus is claiming to bring living water, and she's saying, who is it that you're claiming to be? What is it that you're claiming you can do? Are you saying that you're greater than this patriarch of our faith? What is it that you're promising? How in the world are you going to deliver on this? Jesus answers her, and he says, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them is never going to thirst Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. One of the reasons I think it's really important to read your Bibles, hopefully you're all reading your Bibles, right, is because when you hear phrases like this and you've familiarized yourself with scriptures, right away your mind starts to go, where have I heard that before? What is he possibly talking about here? I know as I read this idea of waters and rivers of life and something springing out, right away my mind was like, I've heard this before. I need to find out where this is. So you turn over a few pages to John chapter 7. And there's a story of Jesus on the last day of the feast. This is the feast of, uh, of booths uh, that was happening in Jerusalem. Uh, this is a feast where Israel celebrates the fact that for 40 years they were a nation wandering around the desert and God provided for them every day what they needed. Bread from heaven on the ground in the morning, quail from the sky at night. Their shoes never wore out. Their staffs never wore out. Their robes never wore out. God provided for them every single day as they wandered in the wilderness. And now that they've settled in the land that God gave them, every year they celebrate God's faithfulness. They celebrate his provision with the Feast of Booths. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this is from John chapter 7, uh, picking it up in verse 37, Jesus stands up at this feast that celebrates God's provision for his people. He stands up and he cries out and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart is going to flow rivers of living water. Then John explains this Jesus was saying about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What is the drink that Jesus offers to thirsty humanity? What is the living water? It's the Spirit. Good guess. It's the Spirit. The living Spirit of God that God has promised to dwell in the hearts of his people forever. It's the same spirit of God that even after the fall of humanity and, and humanity is banished from the garden where God was present and creation was good. And it's the spirit of God that then comes outside of the garden and meets with humanity in a fallen and a dark world. It's the Spirit of God that pursues the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the Spirit of God that anoints the prophets and the kings and, uh, and the judges of Israel for the work that God has called them to. And it's the Spirit of God that offers himself as the personal presence of God 
in the life of every believer. After Christ's death, he instructs his followers to go and wait in Jerusalem after his death and resurrection. He instructs his followers to go and wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit shows up. And then we have this story in Acts chapter 2 of rushing winds and tongues of fire and people speaking in unlearned, unlearned languages and, and this incredible moment when the Spirit of God comes and meets the believers in Jesus. This moment when the followers of Jesus were, uh, the, the nomenclature that we might use is, we would say they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, hearkening back to what John the Baptist had said about Jesus, that he would baptize his people in the Spirit and fire. This idea that God's people are immersed in the presence and power of the Spirit of God, that through Christ becoming human, Somehow, the Spirit of God has made a dwelling place inside the hearts of His people. And that as the Spirit comes and makes His dwelling place inside of us, there's a transforming effect that this has. Similar to how a spring of living water welling up out of the ground might begin to transform the landscape around it. Now, we live in Washington where it rains all of the time. And so we maybe don't have an appreciation for how water can impact the environment around it because we probably complain about water more than we appreciate it here in the Pacific Northwest. But you imagine the regions where uh, Jesus was ministering in the Middle East, or the Nile is a great example. Uh, If you've ever looked at a map of Egypt, everything is right there on the Nile. Why? Because a steady water source represents life. And not just for the plants that are nearby, but for the people who rely on the plants and the animals and all of that. So water is life. And water is used as a picture or a metaphor for the Spirit's presence in our lives. The source of life for the believer is the Spirit of God there with them. So the woman at the well probably doesn't anticipate everything that Jesus is talking about. She probably doesn't fully understand everything that he's getting at here. But something happened through her interacting with Jesus in this way. First, she believes something. She says to Jesus upon hearing this, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water anymore. I don't want to thirst anymore. I don't want to feel stuck in the rat race of coming here to fetch water every day. I want freedom. I want life. I want my thirst to be quenched by this living water that you speak of that brings eternal life. And it's amazing because this is as close to a moment of um, repentance, uh, confession that we see in the story And yet, God's Spirit comes to dwell with this woman in a unique and an empowering way because she then goes on from there to testify to her community about Jesus saying, could he be the Christ? And based on her testimony or her proclamation of the gospel, many Samaritans end up believing in Jesus that day. And this is in John chapter 4. So isn't it interesting 
that as John records the life of Jesus, he makes a point of recording how many Samaritans come to believe in Jesus long before the insiders, the Jews, the people of God, are coming to believe in Jesus. And we see in this a picture of this whole idea. This is why God sends us to out-of-the-way places. Because so often it's the -the out-of-the-way people who are ready to respond to God. Maybe more ready to respond to God than the people who would claim to be in the center of the believing community. Either way, we see a picture of what happens when Jesus meets somebody and the Spirit of God begins to well up inside of them like a spring of living water. And that something is nothing short of its transformation. It's completely changing for us. And this is what Jesus does when he goes and speaks with the woman. And as we look at Jesus' lives, I really think, at Jesus' life, I really think we're meant to be challenged in our own lives. What kinds of conversations are we having with the people around us? I wonder if God would have a moment for you to just sort of bubble out as a spring of living water into the life of somebody else this week. Do you think it's possible that sometime in the next seven days, you might be in a situation where you could speak directly to the thirst that exists in the world around us and and infuse that moment of thirst with the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming who God is, and that someone might be able to take a drink of living water for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time. I had this moment last week in the airport where my friend came to me and just spoke out of what God was speaking to him, and it was like living water for my soul, refreshing, challenging, convicting, a life-changing moment. One of the things that it led me to was was, um, being far more intentional in how I'm living my own faith out at home in the midst of my family and inviting my family to walk together with Jesus. I think something that can happen quite often for people who feel a responsibility to get the people of God to come together and walk with God together, it, it can be really easy to forget about calling your family along to walk with you in a way that isn't geared around Renewal City Church. And so it, it was a refreshing moment of conviction for me and a moment of, okay, forget about the pastoral job performance issues and how are you doing as a father and a husband and, and a, a, a priest in your own home and walking with the people that God has given you there. It was like a living water moment. And I'm so thankful. It would have been so easy. And I've done this myself, where I'll, I'll meet with God, and he'll say something to me, and I just keep that to myself. And it would have been so easy for my friend Phil to have that moment with, with Jesus in the bathroom and be like, well, that was a little weird. I don't, I don't know. I'll just go out there and, and uh, not share it. And so I, I really, my prayer is twofold. One, that you would have moments where God meets you this week. And two, that you would share those moments wherever God would give you opportunities to share it. We want to be people who don't miss out on these kinds of opportunities as we go about our lives and as we walk around this world, meaning to be the, the presence and the hands and feet of Jesus here. So uh, I want to give you an opportunity to 
to interact with each other a little bit, maybe even to practice this somewhat. What is God speaking to you? How is God working in your life? So we have a few discussion questions uh, that we're going to turn to, and we're just going to spend a few minutes uh, doing that, and then we'll close together at the Lord's table. Uh, We'll say at 1125, we'll have the team come up, and we'll close together at the Lord's table for the service. So, um, yep, there's a QR code. There's some QR codes on the table. You can move your chairs a little bit. Maybe look around if someone's sitting uh, somewhat by themselves or in a really small group. Uh, circle up a little bit together and take a few minutes just to talk to each other and uh, let the living water flow. <laughs>